so appreciative when my good friend, your pastor, Samuel, called and asked if I would be available to come and to share with you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. It's uh, so good to have my family with me. If uh, you've not met them, this is Thompson, my junior son, and uh, my wife, Julie, and then my daughter, Bethany, who's in eighth grade, and it's a treat to have them here today. Thank you much so much for your welcome, and uh, what a special day, Youth Sunday. And uh, I just pray God's blessing over our young people, and I am so appreciative of a church that makes that a priority. Sam, thanks so much, and thanks to our praise team. I I so appreciate Sam's heart. He sent me an email this week and said, I'm going to be praying for you, and uh, he wanted to know what I was preaching about so that uh, he could bring the song service kind of in line with all of that. As I read your bulletin, I was extremely impressed that this year you are making a point to read God's Word, and uh, I hope that you will continue that. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished. And uh, so I, uh, I commend you on that. Uh, keep up the good work. In fact, the other day I was talking about reading the Bible, and somebody said, on your iPhone you can get an app that you can actually push and it will read the Bible to you. So for Thompson, Julie, and Bethany, if you didn't know that, you can be riding along in your car and it will read the Bible to you. So uh, there you go. You know, one of the interesting things about reading God's Word is that not only do you know the stories of God's Word, but you can make application to your life. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to be sharing with you Uh, A familiar story. In fact, in my Bible, the subheading says, Jesus calls his first disciples. Very familiar passage. But then what I want to do is, I want to bring that home to us. Here Jesus is. He is calling Peter and Andrew, and then James and John. And it's a pretty dramatic story. I mean, he's walking along the seashore, the Sea of Galilee. And if you've ever been to the Holy Lands, it's not a sea like we would imagine. Uh, in fact, it's more like, for, for a Texas description, it's like a big pond, a big lake. And uh, he's walking along, and he calls them unto himself, and, and he literally, he asks them, go ahead and come now. And they drop their nets, and so this morning, the, the title of my sermon is Netless Followers. What nets, what things do we have in our life that keep us from fully and completely following him? Because he interrupted their routine, he literally called for them to have a change of career. He, in asking them to drop their nets, literally represented their security, represented their income, and and everything that they knew. Look along with me as we read Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I want to suggest to you this morning that followers of Jesus Christ are netless believers. Now, here's, an, here's what I define a net as, and so if you're going to write this down, if you're going to write something down, this would be good. A net 
is anything that inhibits or prohibits our non-negotiated commitment to follow Christ. A net is anything that inhibits or prohibits our non-negotiated commitment to follow Christ. Now, as followers of Christ, there's none of us that are exempt from getting caught up in things, and we're going to refer to them as nets, that keep us from following Christ exclusively, or with all of our heart, or with all of our mind, or with all of our strength, as Scripture talks about. And so this morning, just to kind of to give us an anti-picture of all of this, I thought I'd remind you of this character by the name of Jonah. You remember Jonah? God called Jonah to do a particular task. And as believers, God has given us tasks and things that, uh, that He would have us to do. In fact, God tells Jonah what He wants him to do is He wants him to go to Nineveh and He wants, to preach to the pe- he wants him to preach to the people there. Now, unlike J- James and John and Andrew, he decides that rather than following God, he's going to go in the exact opposite direction. Now, before we get too hard on Jonah, we can kind of wink and smile at ourselves because sometimes when God calls us, we do kind of the opposite as to what he would have us to do. He goes in the opposite direction, and really what's kind of interesting, I mean, he's totally doing opposite of what God would have him to do, but he's pretty, pretty comfortable in that. In fact, you know from the story that a big storm comes up, and he's so at peace that he's in the bottom of the ship, and he's taking a nap. The storm overwhelms the boat so very much that a pagan captain comes and wakes him up, and he says, hey, man, what's the deal here? We've got a major storm. You're sleeping in the bottom of the boat. Do you have anything to do with this storm? Isn't it interesting that Jonah, called of God to go to Nineveh, pretty much realizes right away that he's kind of the cause of all the problem. But what's interesting to me, rather than repenting and saying, Lord, you know, you've caused this storm. I've really created a problem for all these guys on this boat. And Lord, what I should do right now is repent and go to Nineveh like you wanted me to do. Do you know what he does? He says, I would rather die than do what God would have me to do. And he says, guys, just go ahead and throw me over the boat. Now, think about that. I mean, he's out in the middle of the ocean. I mean, he doesn't have a lifeboat out there, not that we know of. He doesn't have floaties on his arms so that he can just kind of drift into the, to the nearest shore. And he would rather die than follow Christ. Now, I want to give you an extreme example so that as you begin to think in your own life, maybe you and I won't go to those extremes. Now, what I want to suggest furthermore is that following Christ is not just something that we volunteer for, but it's something that He's called us to do. One of the books that I've been reading lately is called Radical. And if you're looking for a good book, some of you are shaking your head, I would encourage you to pick it up. And David Platt is a pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, and he has really challenged his congregation to live radical, and I'll substitute this word, netless lives. In fact, what he encourages the people of his church to do is this. He asks them to do five things. And by the way, I am encouraged this morning because you're doing at least two of those. First of all, he encourages his people to pray for the world. And that sounds kind of unusual. Do I pray for all the missionaries? Do I pray for all the nationalities? What do I pray for? And he says, you just begin to pray and let God allow that and begin to, uh, to lay on your heart how you're specifically to pray. Secondly, he says, I encourage you to read the Bible through in a year. Thirdly, he says, I want you to sacrifice. And by that, he's not talking about so much just working something extra into your budget. Hey, we're going we're gonna to cut out something here, just kind of tiny. I'm only going to get three Starbucks coffees a day and not four. But he really, the, the idea of sacrificing for the cause of Christ. Then he says this, serve in another context. 
And I know many of you are involved in ministries and missions and these kinds of things. And then finally, he says this, be an active, be active in a faith community. You're active in a church, you're reading the Bible through. How are you doing on those other things? See, if we're going to be an all-out, netless follower of Christ, what that literally means is that we're going to, to give up everything that inhibits us from following Him. In fact, we're not going to allow anything to come between us and God. As I read the story of Jonah, and we're going we're gonna to wrap it up real quick with Jonah, you know, as you read the story about his life, you know why he didn't want to go to Nineveh? The reason why he, he didn't go to Nineveh was because he had this grudge against them. They were such mean and awful people that he didn't want to go and share the gospel with them. And so it was a sin issue for him. In fact, he says in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2, this is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents for sending calamity. It was a grudge. And sometimes in our own life, there are some things that keep us from following God in an unreserved kind of way. So how far do followers of Christ go? You know, as we read the story about uh, James and John and Andrew in that passage in Matthew chapter 4, I believe that they intended to follow Christ for the entirety of their life. Now, we know from Scripture that Jesus was only on the earth with them for three years. But in our life and in our relationship with Christ, how long do we intend or are we willing to follow Him? Jim Elliott, the great missionary to the Aka Indian, said it this way, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And if you and I are to give up everything, ultimately we're not giving up anything because ultimately we're gaining everything in Christ. Followers go wherever Christ leads them, and it's the wherever sometimes it's so challenging. You might say, you know what, Lord, I'll be more than happy to be a witness as long as I can go here and here, but you know, I don't want to go to a place where they're going to eat some strange kinds of foods. And sometimes when we think about God calling us, that's kind of the context that God's going to send me to a missionary mission field or, or to some foreign place. But what if God calls you as a student to be a witness and a testimony at your school? What if God calls you as He's called my wife to be a school teacher? That she's going to be the presence of Christ and a witness there. You say, well, that's kind of different. No, it's the, it's the same thing. The disciples, they were fishermen, and, and Jesus helped them. He said, hey, listen, now rather than fishing for fish, what I want you to do is fish for men. And I want to encourage us to think about that. Immediately, immediately they drop their nets and they follow Him. And sometimes when the Lord calls us, we begin to do an assessment. Does this mean that I'll have to stop doing this? If I really get serious about following God, do I have to begin to do this? What are my friends going to think about? What, are my, what is my spouse going to think about all of this? So I want to suggest to you some more this morning six nets that possibly could come in, in the way or come into play and keep us from following Christ. And so net number one is this, people. People could be nets in our life. Perhaps there's a friend who you live with and you walk with and you play with and you spend your life with. And maybe you say, you know what, if, if I gave up that relationship, you know, I would lose that person. And, and maybe people could become a net in your life. Or maybe it, a person is someone that, uh, 
that would keep you from fully and completely following Christ. Someone that uh, you don't want to deal with and, and that relationship keeps you from following Christ. Maybe it's your children. You say, how in the world could my children be in that? Well, you know what? Everything that I do revolves around them. Everything that, that they do revolves around me. And therefore, I'm not going to allow them or anything to come between me and that relationship with them. In the story that we read, two of the brothers were fishing with their father. And they walk away. And are we willing in our lives and in our relationships to walk away and be used of God? Things could be the second thing that could be a net for us. You know, someone has said this, that we as Americans have so much stuff that often it makes it more difficult for us in our fellowship of Christ. Have you ever thought about that? We've got so much stuff that we've got to maintain and we've got to take care of that we really don't have time. And sometimes people in very impoverished parts of the world, they don't have all that stuff and all those things to kind of weigh them down. Someone has said it this way, it's not that any of these are wrong, listen to this, if they are rightly gained and loosely held. Rightly gained and loosely held. What things in your life keep you from following and doing all that God would have you to be? Maybe there are some things that you say, you know what, this is really important thing and, and God, I will seek you after all of these kinds of things. And so things could be something that would keep you from fully following God. How about plans and dreams? Do you have plans and dreams for your life? You know, planners dream about their future and then they plan to guarantee that they end up that way. Now, just for a moment, have any of your life plans followed through just as you, you had intended them to? I mean, you're in high school and college or whatever and, and everything to the detail has followed out just like you wanted it to. Anybody like that? Our plans tend to shift and tend to change. I, uh, I remember when I went off to college that I had these grand dreams that I was going to be an engineer and a part-time professional soccer player. And uh, here I am, a minister. I mean, what in the world was I thinking? Well, not much. In fact, really, the way that I came to that grand conclusion was I was pretty good at math and science, and I really liked to play soccer. But you know what's amazing about my plans and about my dreams? I really had not consulted the Lord a whole lot about it. In fact, I'll just go ahead and take this on myself and I'll let you, uh, you can just kind of smile at me if you've ever done this. I'm just kind of clicking through life and kind of thinking this, Lord, I'll go ahead and make the plans. You figure out where you can connect with me and we'll be happy. We do that, don't we? And we tend to go ahead and plan our lives out for the Lord and the Lord says, you know, Dave, maybe my ways are not your ways and maybe, David, I have a plan better than you can even imagine. Of recent days, with Thompson being a junior, we're talking about college. And he's a golfer, and a good golfer. So where does that factor in to all of that? What does God want for Thompson in the midst of his plans and his dreaming for his life? Are we willing to say, God, I submit to you my plan, and God, it's your will that I will ultimately seek. People can be nets, and plans and dreams can be nets. Things can be nets. How about attitudes can be nets? Attitudes of serving and caring and humility and understanding and tolerating and trusting are all characteristics of the way that a follower of Christ should be if they are netless. 
But what if pride comes in? And you say, you know, God, this is, uh, this is not so much about you. This is about me, and I'm, I'm going to do my thing and, and my way. So attitudes could be net. How about money? Now you say, no, wait, money is the same thing as things, and it might be, but I, I, think, it, I think it is allowable that it be its own designation. See, some folks just accumulate money, but a lot of people see money as a key to success and significance and fulfillment in life. And it's not so much just to have enough, it's I want to have enough to do everything that I want to do. And this is the part in Platt's book when he talks about sacrifice that has been so significant for me. What about my life is a sacrifice? Let's look back to the guys that God calls on the seashore. They are fishermen. They're giving up all of their livelihood and their paycheck for the purpose of following Christ. And they have no guarantee. In fact, it says, by the way, hey, listen, bring a small bag and bring a good rock because that's going to be your pillow. Because other than that, we're not, we haven't got much going for you. How many of you all would sign on to a deal like that? Small bag and a rock to lay your head on. Anybody want to sign up? I don't think so. Many of us are concerned that if we commit ourselves as fully devoted followers, Christ will threaten our treasury. And guess what? He probably will. Scripture says that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Money could be a net. And finally, a secret sin could be a net. I think that's why I shared with you so much the story of Jonah. Because until I read the story at a greater detail, I really hadn't realized what was his motivation for not going. And it was simply a grudge. But you and I might have some secret sin in our life. And remember this. The nets that Christ calls us from are not always sinful or degrading, but He calls us from anything and everything that stands between us and Him. And you know what we call something that stands but keeps us between, that comes between us and God? We call that sin. It breaks that relationship. It breaks that fellowship. Now, two observations that I have that you know I think are are kind of critical. The nets that Christ calls us from are not always sinful and degrading. I just said that. But he calls us away from everything that stands between us and him. Secondly, we don't leave our nets to take on some new career as much as we're following a person. And I think that's very significant. Sometimes we think about, well, if I, if I, you know, if I follow Christ, then I've got to give up this career. And you know what? God might have you stay in the very career that you are for the purpose of you being a missionary right where you live. We need missionaries everywhere, folks. Would it, would it be safe to say at the place that you work or the places that you hang out that there might be some people there that don't know Jesus? I would bet there are. And how are they going to know about Christ? What better way for you to be a witness and a testimony for them? There's an old hymn that we sing, All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. And it's all about Christ and it's all about this person. It's not a project, it's a person. It's a tribute to God's worthiness, to His trustworthiness, and following Him. So if we're going to drop all these nets, all of these six things, people and things and plans and dreams and attitudes and money and secret sins... It's really about values, what we value more. 
See, compared to everything else in life, following Christ is the best. So let's do a little assessment. Do we like friends? We have to ask compared to what? Compared to loneliness, we love our friends. Compared with isolation and insignificance, everyone would choose friends. But compared with Christ, no contest. What about our enemies? Can we ever break the binding sense of bitterness or self-protection that comes from anger and a withdrawn spirit? Most of us would choose to withhold the grace or forgiveness to those people just like Jonah did, but compared to Christ, no contest. How about money? Well, compared to poverty, most of us, we would be delighted to have money, but compared to Christ, there's no contest. Do we enjoy the things that fill and surround our lives? Absolutely. But compared to Christ, there's no contest. You see where I'm getting at with this? That the things and the people and the money and all of this compared to Christ as a follower of Christ should literally be, I seek Christ first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. See, every time you and I refuse to drop a net, every time we refuse to love and to serve and to forgive and to change our life in accordance with what God's called us to do, guess what? We have told God ultimately where you stand, where you line up in in my life. And if we truly want to live this abundant life that God has for us, then then our, our nets will be dropped to our side. I heard someone talk about this. He said, you know why you have lines and you know in, in your hands? They identify the uh, the marks that we have from holding on to the nets in our life. So I guess the idea would be that we would have very smooth hands because we have released all of those nets to the Lord. Now, of course, that's not the reason why you have all those wrinkles and crinkles in your hand. And, you know, maybe your children will ask you about that today. But it does give us a good illustration, doesn't it? Or a good image that if we follow Christ, it ought to be unreserved, open hands. Lord, I don't have anything that's going to keep me from following you. There's nothing, Lord, that's going to keep me from a, an all-out surrender and a radical fellowship of you. See, it ought to be clear to us by now that someone that is a netless follower of Christ is someone who is desirous of a deepening love with Christ that wants to literally do everything possible to honor Him by serving Him and following Him. So what happens... What happens in our life if we are completely and totally netless in our fellowship of Him? And I began to think about Peter, Andrew, James, and John. What would have happened if they not dropped their nets and followed Him? Well, by the end of their lives, they would have accumulated huge piles, maybe tons of stinky, smelly fish. Wow, what an incredible legacy. How about Matthew? Matthew, the tax collector, he probably would have massed huge piles of cash. But he decides he's going to give it up for Jesus. How about Simon the Zealot? He probably would have spilt all kinds of blood in Jerusalem trying to overthrow the Roman government. How about Thomas? You remember doubting Thomas? Had he not dropped his nets and followed Christ, he probably still, to this day, would have been a doubting follower. Only heaven will reveal 
what our life will be like if we will completely and unreservedly yield to him. See, becoming a netless believer doesn't mean just dropping one net. But I truly believe that being a netless follower of Christ means dropping one net after another net after another net after another net. But you know, the joy of following Christ is so great that we don't count it so much as lost as an opportunity to serve and to love Him. I absolutely love stories of the great heroes of the faith, don't you? The people throughout Scripture who said, listen, it's about me following Christ and and nothing else. Paul said it this way, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I might finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Acts chapter 20 and verse 21. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And so I find myself again looking at my hands and asking myself this question. Lord, what is standing between me and a full-out surrender to You? Lord, what could I release and give to You for Your glory and for my good? Oh, remember that God works in and through our lives and it's always for His glory and for our good. And imagine what it looks like if our plans and our dreams and the people in our lives and the things and the every aspect of our life is yield completely to Him. So my question and my challenge to you is today, will you, like these men, Peter, James, and John, drop that net and say, Lord, I follow you. Join me as we pray. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of standing in this church on this day. And Lord, more than anyone else this morning, I'm convicted in my own life of God being so consumed with so much stuff And so many things that God maybe, just maybe, there's not a full and complete abandon to you and what you've called me to. Lord, I ask and I I pray for your wisdom for each one of us. For Father, if we know you as our Lord and Savior, your love for us, God is not going to change. But God, the joy that we will experience and the abundance that we will experience will come in direct proportion to God, the nets that we release. Father, I pray that you might show us those areas of our life that are not fully and completely, God, surrendered to and given to you. Father, I do pray that we would be faithful. God, that we would be faithful to obey, God, your call upon our life. God, speak to us and challenge us during this invitation time. In your name I pray. Amen.